bonus. Bonus. Episode. The big bonus. Episode. Bonus means extra. Matt and Alex. Bonus. Episode. Hello, this is a little special bonus episode, uh, which features one of the segments that we recorded way back in June 9th. Uh, I remember Alex Dyson because it was the long weekend. I was visiting some family in uh, in Ballina, mm. some of my partner's family. And uh, yeah, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on with Black Lives Matter. And I was really shocked by how much it was affecting me, you know, internally, mentally. Mm. You're a pretty cool customer, usually, but kind, you know, with various things. But you're also very open and honest with uh, with your feelings and how things happen. And so, yeah, on this particular day, seeing the protests in America with the, um, you know, the, the death of, of the murder of George Floyd. Um, and yeah, all the discussion around that, what that, yeah. what, how that kicked off and the way that people were, were, oh, I don't know, pointing fingers and talking about race and culture. And it was just such a wild time. And, um, and yeah, I just felt like I, I, I really just wanted to kind of talk to a lot of people <clears throat> because I think a lot of people, I saw a lot of people trying to figure out what to do. Mm. And there was a lot of, you know, oh, do I, if I put up a black square, then this will like, is that enough? Or do I need to don't, do I need to donate money? And, and I was just like, yeah, I just thought I would, I would talk about it as honestly as I could and from my own perspective. You spoke from the heart, and that's what you're about to hear. It is a little segment and what was a wider podcast, but we've put it together because over the weekend uh, at the Australian Podcast Awards, that particular moment won moment of the year in all of podcasting in Australia. The judges picked uh, this particular moment as the uh, yeah the best, the most powerful, whatever it may be, whatever the criteria was, it, uh, it won that particular award, which was um, quite cool. First year of our podcast, but it's also like... I'd, that's the other thing. You weren't doing it for the awards at the time, but I think you'll hear I that. <laughs> I, I think you'll that hear that in the chat. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. it's nice to be, you know, to be acknowledged. But mm. no, certainly, I think the most important thing was that uh, that the, there was a discussion at the time, and there needs to continue to be a discussion. And uh, mm. and yeah, awards or not, this is something that's always been pretty important to me, and and I'm glad that. I'm glad that people have connected with it. Yeah, and it is really important listening. So instead of, you know, getting you to go back to the 9th of June and listen to it through the episode, we thought we'd cut it out for you here. So uh, you've got it in one place to have a listen. And um, yeah, here it is for you right now. Matt, the protests we saw in America over the last couple of weeks uh, have filtered through to Australia. A lot of Black Lives Matter protests happening in the capital cities here. People obviously upset about the um absolutely appalling stats when it comes to deaths in custody of Indigenous Australians and uh, also showing solidarity for the people in the US. Uh, Yourself, Matt, did you get to a protest? I didn't agree with them. Oh, I mean, I agree with the cause behind it, but I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't believe that they should go ahead because of, uh, because of the COVID restrictions. And that's a personal thing. I completely understand why people wanted to march. And I Mm -hmm. think that it was really important. It's just, there's a whole bunch of reasons, you know, and it sucks having to even talk about it because you don't ever want to be obstructing the, uh, you know, justice that you feel is 100% necessary and lacking in this cause. Yeah. And when you see the stats of, you know, over 400 Indigenous Australians after a royal commission into finding yeah, more out than, more than more than after than before the royal commission. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where a royal commission literally saying, "Here are our recommendations to make sure that this, you know, endemic problem can end." You know, now they have those ridiculous stats after that happening. It's appalling. 
absolutely appalling. It is. The other reason, you know, why I was annoyed about about them going ahead is because it now gives people a distraction and a way to divert the conversation from what it needs to be talked about. And it's sure. already happening in all the media. Every single person, every single critic, every single politician is out here saying they shouldn't have marched, they shouldn't have marched instead of actually talking about why 30,000 people or 10,000 people or 20,000 people in some cities were so motivated to march that they would risk the health of themselves really um, to to speak out about a problem that is that is systemic, right? But it really brings up a good point because of all these people in the media and politicians who say, well, it wasn't a good time. We can talk about it, but it's not a good time. It's not a good time. I'm learning more and more that it is never a good time because when is a good time to talk about it? It's not Anzac Day. It's not Australia Day. It's not when you're listening to a, a, your favourite song countdown. It's not in a rugby league ad. It's not when Kathy Freeman wins a medal and she wants to just carry two flags. It's not on a Big Brother eviction night when someone holds up. It's ne- I mean, you know, you can't even infiltrate Big Brother. It's not Colin Kaepernick sake. kneeling. You know, no, it's not during protesting. a football game. It's yeah. not during a you know a play. When is it? When mm. will it ever be? And the fact of the matter is, it's never a good time because it's extremely uncomfortable to talk about, right? Mm. I spent the whole weekend feeling like crap. I really did. I, I went on holiday with my family. I really wanted to have a good time, and this whole time I kept thinking about all these memories of times when racism has affected me and i think that when we talk about racism too many people think that racism is what you might what has been described as vulgar racism which is um you know uh out like uh you know vulgar sprays of you know Mm. uh slurs or or actually violent acts but i think what people really need to talk about is just institutionalized racism, systemic racism, things that are embedded within a culture that are not easy to remove or get rid of. And you can't necessarily pinpoint it. People always want to say, oh, well, tell me what I did that was racist. What is the thing, you know? But the the problem is racism always hides behind an excuse or an action, all right? And it's very hard to catch racism because a lot of racists have been practicing their whole life. Right, So mm. they know how to get away with it. They absolutely know. And there's always an excuse. But racism exists and racism exists in harsher punishments, reduced leniency, stricter monitoring, uh, the, the expectation that one should be more thankful or more grateful for an opportunity because of the color of their skin. It's like, it's like eyes being on you in a shop when you're just trying to browse. It's being stopped and questioned by the police because they have a suspect in near the nearby area that you might look like, which happens to me. It happened to my dad recently. He's a 70-year-old man. He gets stopped in Indrapilly Shopping Centre, yeah. you know, because he, Daddy Mac. he looks like someone they're looking for. Exactly. And, it, oh, you know, man. he got really angry about that. And and I, at the time I was like, oh, why do you care? And I'm, now I think about it, it's like because it, because – it's humiliating. That's why. Because mm. no one who's walking around you knows why the police are sitting there talking to you in the middle of a shopping centre, taking all your details, looking like you've done something wrong. And it's absolutely humiliating, right? But what's to say that that was a racial thing? That's that's the difficulty. So you can never, mm. ever, ever really pinpoint it, right? So I'm just, I just want to give you a list of... These are the things I thought about over the weekend, Daiso. Yeah. And this is how 
what I believe to be racism, and this is what I want you listening to think about when when we talk about racism. This is not just someone yelling the N-word out of, you know, on a bus or anything like that that always seems to make the news. These are the little things that affect you for your whole life and you still think about when you're a 35-year-old man trying to have a normal time with your, with your family, all right? So key moments in my life that I keep that I keep thinking about, and this isn't one of our comedy countdowns that we've been uh, having a little <laughs> bit over the last. Just to be clear, <laughs> leading in, this is not one of our this, funny, you know, darkest days in oboe history. This is no, uh, no. this is this is literally Matt O'Kide's, uh yeah experiences. Okay, so in around about 1995-96 when Pauline Hanson was at the height of her first wave through parliament and she was in the news so much talking about anti-immigration stuff I remember walking into my mum's bedroom one night and asking her if my dad was an immigrant right because I'd heard so much stuff in the news about how immigration is bad and how immigrants are bad and I remember when my mum said that he was in fact an immigrant I remember a deep pit of shame forming up in my stomach and I remember thinking I can't ever let anyone know about this because I know that 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 he is that, that that's bad right so to have something to feel ashamed of your own dad you know even just for mm. a moment is it's a really evil thing for people and the media and politicians to do. So I, I always think about that, especially when I see people like Pauline Hanson on Dancing with the Stars and shit. It really kills me because their words have the so much effect on kids that they don't, like we're adults, we get it, you know, but kids don't and they, they take it on all on board. I remember being called, I mean, this sort of stuff, being called a coconut or lamington all through school and me calling myself a coconut. You know, oh, I'm white on the inside, black on the outside, white on the inside as if it was like a, a badge to, to be proud of. When, what does that even mean? White on the inside, what does that even mean? Like I've got brown skin because my dad's black and my mum was white. That's just it. That is all it mm -hmm. means. You know, there's no white on the inside or people saying, oh, you're the whitest black person I know. I've gotten that my whole life why why am i the whitest black person you know because i can talk well because i'm articulate because i have a job because i can pay rent what do you think black is you know so check that first before you make sort of comments like that and then it's on you if you react harshly to a comment like that you have to play along otherwise it's just yeah. a joke bro <laughs> i have you know? to justify what what blackness mm. means to to you know to them you know, mm. or I have to, I have to agree or disagree or whatever, and it it, it's, it, it takes its toll. And taking a color of a skin and a, a, attributing traits to a color is just so gross. So um, when I was looking for a job just out of high school, I remember I'd read a study that had shown this is a this is a, a study had shown that employers are more likely to give you. A job interview, you know, if they're looking at resumes, they were more likely to give you an interview based on your name, and they will give you. They are more likely to select you for an interview if you have an Anglo name. That that is a fact, right? I remember putting my picture on my resume to make sure that people looking through it would see my name and look at my picture and know that I wasn't that black. 
Now, people claim, mm. oh, it's all a meritocracy and, you know, if you work hard, then you'll get the job, etc. You You can't even get the interview. You know, studies have proven that, that you can't even get the interview. So, of course, yeah, I'm sure once you're in the job, it's great. What happens when you can't even get through the door? I remember... The first time I was on television, one of the one of the most exciting gigs, you know, I'd done a stand-up gig and it was the first time I'd been on TV. And my girlfriend at the time told me that she didn't tell her grandmother that I was on TV because then her grandmother would have found out that she was dating a brown guy. And we'd been dating for a while. And that stuff, and, you know, I didn't blame her because I got it. I got the mentality. and But that's, that stuff kills you, you know, and it puts a real dampener on things that are supposed to be these incredible moments for you. So even in the wins, even when things are good, there are still those things to remind you. And so bear in mind that this is, all of this stuff, and, and they may seem trivial to you, but they've, they've stuck with me for my whole life. All of these things are coming from a guy who would be deemed quite successful, who came from a middle-class background, who had a good education, who ducks his primary school, and for all intents and purposes, isn't even that black. So just imagine what sort of shit people who have already started out disadvantaged have to face day in, day out, and don't even get to bring up the topic of racism because they should be grateful, eternally grateful that they're allowed to live, to exist in this society. So people keep asking about what can I do? And, you know, they post the black tile and stuff, which I think is great. It's better than doing nothing. But just know that there's, if you want to change, you actually have to look inward and not outward. And you don't have to tell anyone that you're changing. You don't have to post anything. You literally just have to look at the parts in your life where you have contributed or been a part of things like this or let things slide or not said anything and just figure out step by step, really slowly, how you might be able to change and remember that we're not working, you know, if you're not even doing it for you or this generation, think about the next generation and think about the 10 year old kid who's watching the news now so that that 10 year old kid isn't embarrassed about who he is or, or who his parents are or whatever. So I would, I would be really interested to know because I rack my brain trying to figure out what to do, how mm. to actually make a difference. And I would really like to ask you, the listener, when did you change? When was the tipping point? Get in touch with us on our Instagram or however you want to get in touch with us on the Discord. And if you if you looked a certain way in the past and something made you change, then let us know because I'd love for you to tell all of us about it and know that there is plenty of hope out there um, to follow suit for people to follow in your footsteps. Absolutely. And what I've found is doing things when they're hard is a bit of a mark of, um, of change as well. Calling someone out in a, in a social situation, 
is a hard, uncomfortable thing to do, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm sure in the past, I have no doubt, whether it's, you know, I'm 16 year- years old and it's in the footy club or something like that and things, and whether it's racism or misogyny or anything that is incorrect, I've taken the easy way out and you just don't mention it and go, oh, that's just them, you know? Mm-hmm. Or doing things when it comes to protesting or speaking out or putting in the work <laughs> to help make it better. Yeah, there's there's stuff everyone, including myself, can do in the future. And um, Matt O'Kine, once again, thank you very much for, uh, for sharing your own experience with us. Anytime. 